Reparations is a controversial topic. Since the days of slavery, the U.S. has debated if African Americans should be compensated for the wrongs done to their ancestors. I just think the whole issue is a massive distraction. I mean, even getting into the details. The matter of, of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress, but it is also a question of citizenship. In a few instances, private entities like J.P. Morgan Chase and Georgetown University have created reparations funds. Political leaders like Bill Clinton have issued apologies. European Americans received the fruits of the slave trade, and we were wrong in that as well. But the grassroots call for reparations by the government continues to grow. And in 2019... In a college town in Illinois. The city of Evanston takes on a controversial topic. It was once thought to be a political pipe dream could soon become the answer to solving racial inequities in Evanston. 19 establishing the city of Evanston Reparation Fund. Evanston, home of Northwestern University, made history thanks to this woman. I'm offering no apologies. This is for black Evanston residents. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, Robin Rue Simmons, a local elected official, gets her hometown, Evanston, to do what no city has done before. Use tax money to create a reparations fund for Black citizens. Simmons believes in reparations, and she found a path to make it happen. We talk about how reparations became her cause, the unique strategy she developed to get her city to embrace it, and a lesson from her grandmother that made victory possible. Do your work. Don't make announcements about what you're going to do. Make an announcement once you've done it, or don't even make it then. Just do your work with the right intentions. I'm moving to Evanston. Yeah, man. I'm moving to Evanston. You ran for alderman. You were 41 at the time, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And were you, Robin, the reparations candidate? Not at all. I had never uh, even thought about reparations in an actionable way at a local level. Robin Rue Simmons grew up in Evanston, Illinois, a suburb just north of Chicago. She went to Evanston Township High School, class of 94. She was captain of the cheerleading team and class president, freshman, sophomore, and junior year. She skipped out senior year because she graduated a year early. She then fell in love, had a baby, and moved to Michigan for college. Yes, I was a full-time student, a full-time employee, actually, and a mother. That's a lot of activity from 19 to 22. I agree. (laughs) I agree. It's a lot of activity. I'm tired listening to it. (laughs) Yes. The Michigan stint was short-lived. She and her partner broke up, and it never quite felt like home. And I knew that I wanted to give my children access to the diversity and the good public school system that I had access to here in Evanston. So we uh, relocated back home to Evanston. And like most Black families there, even the ones who'd been there for generations, like hers, she could not afford to buy a home. 
she rented. Until one day, she got a phone call from a high school friend. He invested in real estate and had a property he wanted to unload. And he reached out to me not to sell me the house, but to make me aware of it and see if I knew any investors that might want to purchase it and flip it because it was near beyond repair. It, you know, it had no roof. It was completely gutted. It was a substantial project. So he was trying to sell a dilapidated home and thought, you must have a great Rolodex. Maybe you can help him. Exactly. She went to check out the place to see what she was helping to sell. It was not easy on the eyes. And yet... I thought, I'm I'm that. I, I'm the buyer. <laughs> I'm the buyer. You just saw a crummy building and you thought, this is home. <laughs> this is home. I saw a building that had bird's nest and squirrel's homes and, you know, no roof and no mechanicals and uh, boarded up. I saw that it was on the West End on Dodge Avenue that others may not want to live in. And in fact, I had friends say, I'm surprised you would want to live on Dodge. I'm like, I'm thrilled to be able to live on Dodge. It's such an honor to be able to own in my Mm. village. And so I told him um, I would like to buy the house. As any homeowner knows, a house is more than four walls in a yard. It's an anchor for a family, extended family, the kids, the cousins who need a place to stay as they sort out their lives. And that is why this story is so important, so relevant to the reparations campaign Robin would take up many years later. With her home, Robin got to help herself as a single mom and members of her family find stability. My experience in seeing what it's done for my family, uh, I want every family to have access to that. It is a right. It's a human right, I believe. It is definitely a right that we should have here in Evanston. Fast forward to 2017. Robin Rue Simmons decided to run for alderman in her neighborhood. I have a plan to bring prosperity and freedom to the Fifth Ward, making it as livable as all of Evanston. We've had better than 3,000 Black Evanston residents have to relocate out of Evanston due to lack of affordable This is a, a crowded race. It's very competitive. I'm first on the ballot because I was there first. I'm committed to doing this job. The work ahead is not for the faint at heart, but for us all, and together we win. It was largely a campaign on increasing economic opportunity, and it was the livability factor that inspired me to run and what I prioritized um, during the early part of my time in office. It sounds like it was in some ways like a, a classic, local, here's some meat and potatoes issues that we're all <laughs> going to care about. That's absolutely right. As you were running for office, you had a little bit of your first taste of how like um, bitey or critical sort of your community, the world around you can be. That's absolutely right. A very (laughs) nice way to state it. But yes, that's correct. Uh huh. Tell me a little bit about that. It started pretty immediately, uh, just from attacks at town halls when I'm speaking, uh, a brick through my window at my office. Oh my God. uh, Intimidation, physical intimidation um, in front of my home and at the polling places. 
that was my introduction to uh, electoral politics. You win. Yes. You get, you get into office. I should say I won by, I would imagine it was over 60%. I don't remember those details, but there was no question. There was no uh, need for an additional count. Um, a decisive victory. Decisive. Absolutely. Mm, and I see that smile on your face. It's a very broad yes. smile. Yes. <laughs> Here's something Robin's constituents did not know. After she won, pretty early on, she says, she decided she would not run for re-election. You had the freedom that a lot of politicians don't have because you weren't trying to get reelected. So you could do something, quote unquote, crazy. Yeah. So I think that made a big difference for me. You know, you hear about ABC always be campaigning. And I believe that campaign activity would have interfered with the focus I was able to give Hmm. uh, with advancing reparations. Did you make the decision, hey, I'm not going to run again? in order to push unabashedly for reparations or no, you just, no, you just didn't want no, to run again. Okay. Not at all. I made the decision before I introduced reparations. I made it very early actually uh, mm-hmm. within my first year, mm-hmm. just based on capacity. Uh, our government structure is it's technically a part-time uh, position with a small stipend of um, $15,000 a year. But it truly is a full-time job. Robin, this story is getting better and better, you understand, because you've basically just told me a part-time or quarter-time paid public servant made history. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Here is how Robin Rue Simmons made reparations history. It started, like so many great stories, at the library. She was poring over economic and housing reports, trying to understand why so few Black people own homes in Evanston. The answer, unsurprisingly, institutional racism, not from chattel slavery. We don't have the history of chattel enslavement here in Evanston. Illinois wasn't a slave state, but from housing discrimination. This is Robin Rue Simmons' great revelation. She realized a century ago, nearly two-thirds of Black residents owned a home in Evanston. That's according to a recent report commissioned by the city. But that rate plummeted due to racial zoning by white realtors and bank discrimination. Also, redlining laws segregated Black families into the underfunded Fifth Ward, where they often paid higher prices for crappier homes. And so it was in that moment that I realized that reparations are due for many egregious acts against the Black community, not just chattel enslavement, but many others. And I wanted to begin the road to repair. She took her research about specific policies and she shared it with a local commission to improve diversity in Evanston. She sent an email. The initial response was, We hear you. We agree. We must do more. I followed up with reports and articles and data that supported my introduction of reparations. One very important report was a cost of segregation report done by the Metropolitan Planning Council. 
That widely cited report found that segregation costs communities billions of dollars, leads to higher homicide rates, worse education outcomes, and hurts affluent communities too. It used Chicago as a reference, but I ask that we consider Evanston in this story and what our collective benefit could be if we pursued reparation. And, and, and that conversation continued on with no action. No action. Robin, a little disappointed, happened to have a trip planned. And as it turns out, that trip to South Africa was timely. My daughter, Bailey, um, she was studying for a quarter in South Africa at Stellenbosch University. And we, mm. made, a, we made a family trip out of it. Mm. While I was there, surprisingly, it was a political season. And the candidates were campaigning on reparations. I was hearing reparations discussed. Mm. And our people know that they can settle compensation through our legal system. The people should have what is due to them, which is the money in the president's fund, which is intended for the different type of reparation. And that for me was very interesting. And the country, uh, at the same time, after 20 years of truth and reconciliation work, was and is the most economically divided in the world. Hmm. So I, I had an example of what 20 years of truth-telling and reconciliation work uh, resulted in in South Africa. That it resulted in not actually changing the lived realities. Seeing, oh, here's a country that reconciled with its, its past, but, but it's not enough. If you stop there, you don't actually get equality. That's exactly right. In that time there, we stayed uh, in a very nice part of Cape Town, uh, but I was able to see where the uh, Black community largely lived in sub-economic uh, conditions and was a far cry from the homes that we stayed in, the Airbnbs and the neighborhoods that that Black community just could not access because of uh, their poverty. And I left very sure that I wanted to see tangible reconciliation, truth backed up by a budget and resources that validated that commitment. Mm. And that truth and reconciliation without reparations would be insufficient. Mm. I came back home and became very aggressive about moving this to an agenda and public discussion and beginning the legislative process. After the break, Robin Rue Simmons returns to Evanston and keeps her goal of reparations kind of on the down low. It was not a national discussion until we made international news. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. To recap, 
The alderman, who has already decided she does not want her job, sets out to make history. Robin Rue Simmons does not know how long it will take probably years, well beyond her time in office. She is utterly focused. Nothing exists except for her campaign. And this point is important. Her campaign is local, hyper-local. It needed to be directly connected to the uh, practices enforced by Evanston government. We could not hold Evanston accountable and repair damages that the financial institutions delivered or that Northwestern delivered or that even the federal government did. It needed to be specific to our city. Mm. Evanston cannot be held responsible for the misdeeds of slave owners in the South, she says, but the city can be responsible for its own misdeeds of which there were many. That is the conversation Robin Rue Simmons opens up with the city council at community meetings. There were recommendations that included free tuition at Northwestern for Black residents and free access to health care with an emphasis on uh, trauma and mental mm-hmm. health. Uh, there were recommendations for uh, technical training to, you know, build up skilled trades and business grants and other types of support. Um, but largely the recommendations were in the housing space. There were, you know, uh, tax abatements, grants, mm-hmm. uh, home improvement. So you were just uh, hearing in the town halls organically, mm-hmm. people were really interested in housing and real estate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. At these community meetings, Are you getting people saying, uh, absolutely not, this is nuts? And like, you know, I ask that. Not at all. Not at all. Uh And and I ask that because according to a Gallup poll in 2019, 67% of Americans opposed the idea of reparations. Now, this is a very polarized stat because in that 73%, three-fourths of black Americans were in favor of reparations. But Evanston is very much majority white. So we are a majority white city Mm -hmm. and affluent, Um, but our city, as we went through that process, there, there was, there was not opposition. There was um, commitment to learn more, to think about how we can get this done. There was engagement, uh, of course, in the black community, as well as the ally community, so yeah, we had we had support. There there was not opposition. Yeah, and- forgive me for being dense and cynical, but mm-hmm. why was it so like kumbaya? I don't I don't that surprises me. Well, I'll say that I was intentional to make the introduction not based on the moral argument. We the moral argument should have uh, bridged our racial gap long before I became a alderman on city mm-hmm. council. The moral argument. If it was valued, we would not have a $46,000 household income divide. We would have a fifth ward school. We would have access to healthy food in our neighborhood. Robin introduced her reparations proposal, which did not at first have a funding stream. A funding stream for us to sustain the program and, and figured that would be the biggest challenge. Mm. Uh, but the biggest challenge, because people have their values, but as soon as you have to pay for those values, that'll turn you off. People don't want to pay more taxes. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I knew I expected that to be 
the biggest challenge. But Mm -hmm. there turned out to be a divine intersection between the work that the state was doing in passing recreational cannabis and our work uh, on pursuing reparations. It looks like Illinois is about to legalize recreational marijuana. Both houses have passed a bill sending it to Governor J.B. Pritzker, who says he will sign it. Did you just call it a divine intersection? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> Explain that part. The, the funding piece mm-hmm. for this is fascinating. Well, I call it divine because knowing that you know, a budget is a moral document for municipalities. And hmm. in 2019, as we were having the reparations discussion, the cannabis discussion was happening in Illinois. This bill is one of the most progressive yet. The bill also people. directs Governor Pritzker to pardon people with past low-level marijuana convictions. And Plus my colleague, the incredible Alderman Ann Rainey, hmm. threw out we should use the cannabis sales tax. And mm. when she said it, it was so obvious. It was it was so obvious that mm. that made sense before I even was able to get any research and any data to justify it. Businesses and some tax revenue would be directed to communities disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. I knew that we had over-policing. I didn't know exactly what the numbers were going to be. I requested a report from our chief of police and that report and graph came back that showed that 71% of our arrests uh, were in the black community as it relates to marijuana. And we we are less than 17% of the population. And so we know what criminal records and arrests do to individuals, therefore to families, therefore to communities. And that was the most appropriate funding. It was a new impure tax. It had not been earmarked anyplace else for parks or infrastructure or general fund, and that we could designate it incoming to restrict it for our reparations. Mm-hmm. And so you figure out the issues to focus on. You figure out there's public consensus or interest in real estate and housing in particular. Your colleagues suggest a method of funding that people aren't going to wrangle over. And then there is the day of the vote. Mm-hmm. We're now going to move on to SP2. Uh, Alderman Ruth Simmons, would you introduce SP2? Yes. Did you go into that vote thinking, I got this? I went into that vote thinking, we got this. SB2, Resolution 126R19, establishing a city of Evanston funding source. Um, Because we had put the work in. And I never introduced anything blindly. Um, So at that point in November of 2019, I felt very confident that it would pass. And she was right. Alderman Ruth Simmons. Aye. Alderman Sufferton. Alderman Ravel. Alderman Rainey. Aye. All right. Resolution 126-R-19, establishing a city of Evanston. It did pass. The vote was not even close. Passes on a eight-to-one vote. Eight-to-one. Congratulations. The bill would set aside $10 million from the sale of recreational marijuana, for African-American residents to get housing and economic development grants. And so, 
Evanston became the first city in America to commit public dollars to reparations for its black citizens. We see no shortage of examples of outsiders coming into a a town to politicize an issue and make it not local. Why do you think your campaign did not become the focus or victim of a national debate that had each side coming in and... And, and trying to basically, you know, rabble rouse. Because it was it was hyper local. It wasn't on uh, the national radar until it passed. And I was very intentional about that. Mm. I've never sent out a press release or mm. called attention beyond uh, those that need to vote and give feedback on the work. Um, so it, it it was not a national discussion until we made international news. (laughs) (laughs) That's a baller line. Yeah. (laughs) And so your fear about attracting too much attention too early Mm -hmm. was what? Because it's like it's like your baby and you're protective of it. What was your concern? My concern was that it would turn political and that there would be uh, opposition that would come from beyond our city that would influence the residents that had already made up their mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. My concern was that it would turn into a political opportunity that would um, force us to drag out the work and drag out the the votes and therefore a delay in action. And, you know, we've seen that happen now. Now that we've passed, you know, we have legal threats from outside of our city, from D.C. and Texas, you know, not right here in Evanston. Um, And I expected that to happen, and it has happened. And therefore, I was uh, very careful about minding my business, working within my purview. I am a local elected leader. The residents voted me with my experience to serve them. And serving them did not require a press release to the news media or any other outreach beyond Evanston. I really learned it even from my grandmother uh, when I was a child is do your work. You know, don't make announcements about what you're going to do. Make an announcement once you've done it or don't even make it then. Just do your work with the right intentions. And that way you don't allow an invitation for attacks or division or compromise or even for you to doubt yourself. And that's, I learned that from my grandmother. Robin, interestingly, you are not the first member of your family to push for reparations. About 30 years ago, in the Fifth Ward, your home, your mom tried to do the same. Were you aware of her campaign decades before yours? Oh, I just wow. learned about it in an interview she did recently. So I <laughs> have to follow up with her and learn more about that. Interesting. So you mm-hmm. had no idea that it was like mother, like daughter in this context. I had no idea. Robin Rue Simmons mentioned challenges from the outside. A letter from a conservative group in Texas argued, quote, Past discrimination cannot be remedied by new discrimination. The Washington, D.C. group, Judicial Watch, called the program extremist 
and filed a lawsuit. Locally, the bill's most vocal critics were from inside the pro-reparations camp. Now let's fast forward to 2021, earlier Mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. You had a vote again about specifically giving funding to actually start dispersing the money from this reparations bill. Yeah. You had, again, one no vote out of eight. Evanston's ninth ward alderwoman, Cicely Fleming. But for a quite different reason. One no vote, and yet you've said, well, wait a minute. I'm not so sure this is reparations. Explain. Yeah, I was the one no vote. It was a hard vote as a black woman. Obviously, I support reparations. Ideally, federally, we should have had something done a long time ago. But I don't think this is reparations. Actually, it's, as it was called, it's restorative, I think, housing initiative. I think it falls very short of what I and what other residents have said to them. They thought reparations would be here in Evanston. The person who voted no felt this bill is not true reparations. You're mandating the money to go into housing investment. That is, you're giving Black families who were harmed money that they basically have to give back to the very banks who discriminated against them. This is not true reparations. Yeah, so obviously I completely disagree with the argument and was... um... I, I bring it up because, you know, now that you're victory is part of a national conversation. What struck me about that argument, you have encountered and possibly will encounter people who say, I don't want this because it's not big enough. It's Mm got to be bigger. Yes. I agree with them. Um, I disagree that I don't want it um, because it is the first step. Um, It is a tangible step. It is, uh, we've allocated 4% only of our budget for this first initiative. So I do agree that it's not enough. It's not nearly enough to begin to repair the harms that we live with every day in the Black community. Um, It is also not a settlement. This is the first step. And I would love to see those that argue it's not enough to support the work and build on increasing the budget and expanding the remedies for reparations. How does victory work? Does the victory effectively become a concession? Okay, we got this, so we're done fighting. Or does the victory animate your side to get more and more? Uh, This is a small win. We have reached a milestone. We have moved the the needle. We have reimagined the way we uh, do public policy in Evanston and inspired a nation of other cities to consider a similar step. Um, So it is a victory, uh, but not the final victory. It is one small win on a road to repair that will last my lifetime and my children's lifetime, at least. I do not want to, um, you know, be paralyzed in theory and opinions. I want to focus my time on solutions only. 
Earlier this year, the Evanston City Council approved a plan to begin distributing the reparations money. Eligible African-American families will get payments of up to $25,000 to invest in housing. My lessons from Robin Rue Simmons. One, when you're not worried about holding on to a job, you have the freedom to do the job. Non-attachment breeds freedom. Two, all attention is not good attention. Sometimes it's better to keep your work under the radar than shout it from the rooftops and provoke opposition. Three, don't worry about starting small. Small things lead to big things. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Hina Shravastava, Justin Bull, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our intern is Paloma Moreno-Jimenez. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If this episode landed for you, made you stop, think, feel, hit subscribe. Leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your family and friends. Also, let me know what you think. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Arthi411, A-A-R-T-I-411. Or you can text me at 917-708-5139. Thanks and see you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.